0: Thank you guys. Good to see everybody. I know you're only standing because it's Friday. Hallelujah. Amen. How many, your weekend is already shot because you're behind on homework? Oh. We want to welcome our preview students here uh, from around the area. We've got a great group. On Fridays, on Fridays we have steady flow of students and parents checking this place out our big ncu days is coming up november 11th which is a big overnight event but we just are so grateful for everybody here that um is checking out this great great school so okay take your bibles let's get ready we're going to go to to uh genesis 26 genesis chapter 26 and it's up on the screen there and i want to kind of dive into this because i want to have time to explain this crazy amazing story again if I was picking 10 stories in the scripture that have shaped my life and how I think that have that has become an instinct, uh kind of a righteousness instinct, that thing that comes quickly and without thought, I would say this story has created that instinct in me. And, and I, I just would attribute the power of this story in the revelation from chapter 26, um, really is one of the top most preeminent things. I ever read in the Bible uh, or saw in the Bible, this was not a sermon that I heard. Uh, this was something that I read in the scripture and just regular Bible reading years ago that just leapt off the pages and got into my heart and then began to formulate into a teaching and a preaching that I've had the joy of sharing um, really for many, many years. And I think it's gonna resonate big time in your heart. It's out of the book of Genesis. I apologize for Genesis in my Bible. You probably think that's impressive, man. You read your Bible so much, the pages are falling out. Actually, not. Uh, that is the result of my one year old grandson uh, who got near my Bible because I left it too low on a table and I came in and Genesis was uh, strewn everywhere, ripped it out of my Bible. He was just. At least he knew where to start. You know, he can start at the beginning here. And so watch him become like an Old Testament professor one day and just be an expert in Genesis. And I'll say, dude, it all started right there in your life. So, okay, Genesis 26. I would say growing up, most of my life, I heard great sermons about Abraham. And I've heard great sermons about Jacob. Um, But I've rarely heard solid teaching in my life On the life of Isaac. He's kind of forgotten, except for the famous scene where he is about to be sacrificed um, in in his infancy and the Lord spares, or in his childhood, and the Lord spares him. But Isaac as an adult is not often addressed. And I'm gonna explain why in just a moment. Chapter 26 is kind of a forgotten little chapter in the Old Testament, but it contains one of the greatest insights to living leadership how to approach the future, all of it is in this particular chapter. It says that a severe famine now struck the land. And sometimes I go, how many famines can you have in the Old Testament? I mean, it's like that was the normal cycle, another famine. So a severe famine now struck the land as had happened before in Abraham's time, his father. So Isaac moved to Ger. I don't know what your hometown is called, but Gurr uh, is not really that cool of a hometown. I'm, I was born in Cedro, Woolly, Washington. It's two words Cedro, Woolly, kind of a dopey little name for a town. Um, it was two towns of about 100 people with a street in the middle, and the guy said, Listen, our two towns are so tiny and worthless. Let's join them together and make one kind of tiny, worthless town. So they joined Cedro, and Woolly became Cedro, Woolly, Washington. Um, so, but he's from, he moved to Gurr. Where Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, and again, Abimelech is a name, like how many Abimelechs were there in the Bible? It's like that name shows up regularly in scripture. And it sounds like Ahimelech, but this is Abimelech, who is from Ahimelech, and he is the king, he's a Philistine. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, do not go down to Egypt, but do as I tell you, live here as a foreigner in this land. It's tough when the Lord tells you to stay in a strange place for a period of time. It's tough to live as a foreigner. And I know we think that in a geopolitical way that we define our globe. But the idea is you got to, I want you to be in this land and I want you to be faithful to God, even though it feels strange. And coming to college, being here, Minneapolis, North Central University can feel strange. Like this land is foreign to you compared to what you knew back home. He said, I want you to go down there and live as a foreigner. I'll be with you, and I'm going to bless you, even though it's strange, a strange place. And I will bless you, and, and I will be with you and bless you. I hereby confirm that I will give all these lands to you and your descendants, just as I solemnly promised Abram, Abraham, your father. So Isaac is receiving this transaction of this promise to the patriarch, that God gave to Abram beginning back in Genesis 11 and 12, in which he told him he would be the father of a nation and that the nation, if you look at the sky and count the stars, that's, your offspring are gonna be like the stars. If you go to the edge of the sea and count the sand, that's what your offspring, so sand and stars is, and Abram hadn't even produced one kid. So what's crazy is when God gives you a promise, it is so abstract and ridiculous when you measure it against who you are and what you've done. I think when God speaks, he always speaks early when nothing's really happened yet and there's a massive gap between what you think life will turn out to be and what you've actually accomplished in this life. Imagine telling somebody who's not even had one kid yet that his offspring would be like the stars. And of course, Abram... Battle because he said, uh, I haven't even done this once. Uh, So how am I supposed to do that? And what Abram didn't understand, he goes, okay, Sarah gets pregnant. We're both, he even called her, he said, I am old and my wife is, he didn't use the word old. He was a very smart husband. Um, But he said, he indicated, hey man, we're out of time. This can't happen in this lifespan. Because he was thinking that he would be with his wife. She would get pregnant nine months, have a baby. Let it rest a month, <laughs> have another baby. Let it rest a month. Have okay, now we have three. Four? I've looked at the sky and I've surveyed the shorelines. How is my offspring going to number this? Because he didn't understand how the kingdom really works. Because he didn't know that the sons that he would produce are actually fathers. And that, that, that star would be a seed-producing son and would multiply So, when the Lord gives you a vision for your future, you've always got to factor in the multiplication aspect of your life. Oh, God is going to do great things through you. I always remind young leaders, that famous scene in the second missionary journey of the Apostle Paul, he wanted to go to Asia, and the Holy Spirit blocked him. That's a big deal when the Holy Ghost blocks you from going to Asia. Then he wanted to go to Missy, and it says, Jesus blocked him. What? You must be a big deal if the Holy Spirit and Jesus is trying to guide you. Then it says he went to sleep, and the man from Macedonia showed up in his dream. You're not old old enough to remember the Jolly Green Giant commercials with the green beans. But when I was a kid, the land of the giants was a cool show. The Jolly Green Giant was this guy standing here, you know, Serving green beans to little Lilliputians. And it was unbelievable. When I was a kid, I I envisioned the man from Macedonia being the Jolly Green Giant. So the man from Macedonia shows up in Paul's dream after Jesus has blocked him, the Holy Ghost has blocked him. And now the man from Macedonia waves his hand and says, Come over here. This is... Unbelievable drama to get you to go there. After that kind of spectacle, you would think when Paul showed up in Philippi that there'd be 100,000 people in a soccer stadium waiting for him because the drama and the vision to get you there, if it's big, you equate that as some type of currency that What you're going to do is going to be bigger than the rest. And he shows up in Philippi, and it says after after many days, he went down to a river and found some women praying. Seriously? This is is my life? You didn't want me to go to Asia? So I end up next to a river and, and stumble on a prayer meeting, and he leads Lydia to the Lord. And then he... He casts out a demon in a crazy sorcerer woman and gets chucked in jail. And then an earthquake happens and splits iron chains and leaves the clay walls intact. It's crazy how God is so precise that he can, he can shake the earth without messing up your hair. How does God do that? How can he split iron chains and leave clay walls intact? And so now he's free, and the warden is going to kill himself. He said, "Don't kill! Don't kill yourself." Then they go in the living room and have a Thanksgiving dinner at three in the morning, and he leads them all to Christ, and they have a baptism by sunrise. All of these small little table and river events were the result of Jesus blocking him from Asia, and the Holy Spirit blocking him, and the man from Mass. Here's what I'm saying. Is there can be a lot of big fanfare to get you where you start from, and then it all slows down. It all gets kind of small. An individual. And all the stuff that got you to North Central that seemed like prophetic and whoa, whirlwinds and this, miracles, then it gets real small. And you're battling to get a class done and a teacher to like you and Playing time on the team, and you're just like, what is the deal here? Abram is told he's gonna to have stars and sand, a family. He doesn't even have one. God gives him one, and then he begins to understand that everything that God gives him has the seed of replicating what God had just done in him. So all these stars, one at a time, would be seed producing sons. And we begin to multiply. So when somebody says God's going to do something great through you, he's going to do something great through those who were reached through you. So how this whole thing plays out is not, doesn't always show up in your checkbook. It doesn't show up in your bank account. It doesn't show up in a way that you measure what God has truly done through your life. So now Abram's son Isaac is getting this word. I'm going to give you all this land. Okay, next slide. I'll cause your descendants to become as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give them these lands. So now the promise is passing from the Father to the Son. Through all your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I will do this because Abram listened to me and obeyed all my requirements, commands, decrees, instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerur. Next line. When the men who lived there asked Isaac about his wife, Rebecca, he said, she's my sister. He was afraid to say... She is my wife. Now, when you read that in the Bible, you're going through your Bible in your yearly reading program, you go, wait, 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 wait. I've already read this. What? I, 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 what? My Bible, why is, it, why is it making me read the same story twice? I already read about the guy who called his wife his sister. That's a weird thing to do. And you're convinced you've already read it. Well, you did five chapters earlier. In chapter 20, it says, Now Abram journeyed from there toward the land of Negev, settled there between Kadesh and Shur, sojourned to to Gerar, whatever that word is. (laughs) Abram said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. That was in chapter 20. In chapter 25, she's my sister. What's going on? All of us end up at the same intersection our parents were at in life. All of us are part of the same family tree, or what I would call the same family lie. All of us have watched the fault lines run through our families. And we notice them when we're young, and then we get out into our independence, and lo and behold, we come to the same intersection our dad was at. Famine, a Himelech and Abimelech, the land, the famine, the suspicion, the people that wanted to take his wife. And he said, Abram said, that's my sister because he was afraid. Now the son is saying the same thing in his adult life. We all tend to default to the family tree unless something radically disrupts the process. We end up in the same intersection facing the same pressure that our pops, our mom or dad faced. Even if you didn't grow up with them, it's amazing how the, you know, my parents have passed away. And every day I look more like them. My dad, he was, he didn't grow up in a health conscious era. And he he was overweight, sold cars. After a day in the car a lot, he'd come home. Same routine. He'd work till nine o'clock. And mom would have a plate of, you know, lasagna or spaghetti or casserole in the oven. And I watched Pop come in and he'd have his take his tie off and his, take off his coat. He didn't look too well and he come in like that and he, his back was always hurting. And my dad, he'd lay on the couch, get his big old plate of tuna casserole, whatever mom made. He'd eat it, watching a little TV, eat his food, sit back. He then, he'd all had his paper, the penny saver, or the National Enquirer, some crazy thing, and all of a sudden, he'd sit, lay back on the couch, oh, oh, like that, and he'd read the paper, and then he'd swing his leg up on the couch like that with the paper. He looked horrible, and we'd be sitting across the room going, oh my gosh, Pops, Unbelievable. Get a treadmill, Pop. Come on. And and you'd see the newspaper kind of slowly fade. He'd be covered in the paper, snorting. We couldn't take it, so we'd go off to bed. All of a sudden, my dad would just... Are you guys taking photos? Don't take photos of that. Yeah. All of a sudden, my dad... It's the couch shot. That's what I don't want. So anyway, all of a sudden, my dad—he would, he jerk awake. Sometimes I would be put the phones away. Uh, sometimes I would be. Sometimes I'd be sitting over there, still like awake, waiting for the sports to come on. Just like, oh, Father in Heaven. And he'd get up, grab the paper, and. Just waddle his healthy self out of the room to bed. Oh dad. Terrible. About ten years ago I was it was a long day at the office pastoring. Karen said to be home at six. She I think she made spaghetti. I love spaghetti. I said, sweetie, I got meetings, I got meetings. I may not be home till till ten o'clock. 9 o'clock, Just if you could just save some for me. So he goes, okay, there'll be some in there. And so it was during the fall football season. I wanted to go get the San Francisco sporting green because I like reading the sports page. So I grabbed me the sporting green. It was a long day. I was tired. So I came home and, oh, man, that's big. I'm going to catch some sports. Oh. So I walked over and <laughs> sat down just on the couch, just watching a little sports eating my spaghetti and uh, that's good man catch up on the sporting green here start reading I go man this couch is awesome I'm gonna... I am think I'm going to chill just for a second oh. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yeah, yeah. Ah, yeah. reading about the 40 oh jeez uh... ow Oh my back. I'm six four, man. Oh (laughs) six four, I think twelve (laughs) fifteen. Oh and oh yeah there's some stuff here that I didn't get to read, so, oh, golly, my back hurts. Uh, It's from all that time in college playing basketball and living above the rim, man, it takes its uh, toll. (laughs) Uh, mm. Karen forgot to close the curtains. So we have a full plate glass window which basically when the lights are on, inside the house and lights are on, it creates a full-length mirror. And I'm walking like this and I go. "Ah!" (laughs) I was him. How many know what I'm talking about? Whatever you've laughed about, mom and dad, whatever you've laughed about, like, man, that ain't working, mom and dad. I told my kids the other day, my sons, they used to make fun of me. I said, listen, I'm going to sit in a chair in the corner. I'm going to live long enough to watch you become irrelevant. Boys making fun of me. I said, hey, how's that receding hairline going, son? (laughs) We're having fun. Here's my point. Spiritually, watch this. He's back at the same intersection of his father, and he is... Defaulting to the family tree. It seems like in our family, every time we get to a pressure that is similar, we always act the same. This is how our family does life. Unless something powerfully disrupts it, we will default to the family tree, the family lie. Dad said his wife was his sister. Guess where the son learned it? He's now saying, my wife is my sister. Saying the same thing his dad said. Now we pick up some powerful principles of our parents as well. But I wanna show you something. What was the disruption in Isaac's life and what's the disruption that's happening in your life and I pray it continues to happen in mine. Here we go. It says here, next slide. How could you do this to us, Abimelech exclaimed. My people might've thought that was your wife and they would have taken her, slept with her, and made us guilty of a great sin. Abimelech issued a public proclamation. Anyone who touches this man's wife will be put to death. So Abimelech said, get out of our city. Next slide, if you will. When Isaac planted crops that year, he harvested 100 times more grain than he planted. The Lord blessed him. He acquired flocks um, of goats and herds of cattle. Verse 15, so the Philistines filled up all of Isaac's wells with dirt. These were the wells that had been dug by the servants of his father, Abram. Go to the next slide. Finally, Abimelech ordered Isaac to leave the country, go somewhere else. You've become too powerful for us. So he he moved away to the valley of Ger, which is outside Ger, um, where he set up their tents and settled down. He reopened the wells his father had dug, which the Philistines had filled in. After Abram's death, Isaac also restored the names. Next line. Isaac's servants also dug in the valley, discovered wells of fresh water, but the shepherds of Ger came and claimed the spring. This is our water. And they argued over it with Isaac's herdsmen, so Isaac named the well Essek, which means argument. Isaac's men dug another well, but there again was hostility. So he named it Sitna, which means hostility. Abandoning that one, Isaac moved on and dug another well. This time there was no dispute, so Isaac named the place Rehoboth, which means open space or breath. And he said, At last, the Lord has created enough space for me. So very fast, Isaac begins this cycle of living in which his whole life was about solving his next problem. The purpose of our life, the purpose of my life is not to solve problems. Oh, we bring solutions. But sometimes we can get into a cycle of life in which everything we do spiritually is to somehow just solve the problem. I'm praying because I got a problem. I'm reading the Bible because I got a problem. Going to church, I got a problem. And, and I solved the problem. I dig the well, and the next day the devil and the Philistines throw dirt into my well. Somebody's stealing my water, someone is filling up my wells with dirt. I cannot protect the progress of my life. I take one step forward, the enemy throws dirt in my well. So then the purpose of your whole existence is just simply to uh, pick up the pieces and move on and dig another well. Man, I got dogged again. Somebody threw dirt in my well. Okay, I'm going (laughs) to pick up where I'm at, move on, and people go, wow, you are really resilient. You're a problem solver. You're tough. Look at that. That's not the purpose of our life. Is to dig new wells every time the devil throws dirt in our well. To dig new springs every time the devil steals our water. Your life, you're not here to wake up every day just to go solve a problem. And I'm gonna prove it. Because he finally gets to a place where the problem's been solved, Rehoboth breath. Ha! <sighs> I had that DUI on there for 10 years on my record. I just got a letter that the DUI is off my. <sighs> Couldn't get a job. Oh, man, that medical bill that I got, I had that employment uh, uh, settlement thing. It's in court. Um, I got sued. I got this. I've been trying. Ten years I've been going back and forth. Ten years we've been in courts trying to figure out child custody, and I've been trying to go back and forth. It's cost me all the money. Ah, Dig a well, dirt in the well, dig a well, dirt in the well, find water, steal the water, more wells, Uh, dig dig it, throw dirt, steal it, dirt. Ten years a problem solving can wear you out and it can actually become the whole purpose for your life is just to solve the problems. People against me. Philistines are dogging me. Stealing my water, ruining my wells. But I've been tough. I didn't quit. I got up and I dug a well. It is, it is impressive to keep digging wells when people keep throwing dirt in your well. But what happens when you get to Rehoboth? Yeah, team, come up. We're going to wrap this up. And things are going great. Rehoboth means open space, it means breathe. You ever finally got that thing paid off? You ever finally had that judgment, that legal situation? Ray of both, breath, breathe. Now hold steady. we got four minutes. We're going to wrap this up. Watch this. It's a phenomenal moment to breathe. Breathing's good. Getting those wells and all that dirt and that cycle. It's just, I'm in this cycle. Getting that behind you is a great feeling. But is it Enough. Is it enough to have a life that's free of problems for the Christian is that the purpose of life is to be free of problems you can sit around and go I'm in Rehoboth man this thing is hmm put the next verse up from there Isaac moved to Beersheba why why would you get up from Rehoboth why would you get up from the place of breath and open space Isn't the purpose of your life to breathe and be successful and be free of stress? Why would he leave that spot? Because Rehoboth is, and having a life without problems is not what it's cracked up to be. Because the purpose of your life is not to solve problems, and then to have them solved to say, I'm a success. Why would he leave there? Go to Beersheba, he... Where the Lord appeared to him on the night of his arrival, I'm the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you and will bless you. I'll multiply your descendants, and they will become a great nation. I will do this because of my promise to Abram. Abraham, my servant. Then Isaac built an altar and worshiped the Lord. He set up his camp. Oh, and he dug another well. Now watch this. What's going on in the text? First of all, Rehoboth is not the goal of your life. It's to find space where people don't dog on you anymore. It's not not the goal of life. Because you could be in a perfect space of Rehoboth. I'm going to go to Beersheba now. He goes to Beersheba, which was the place his father met the Lord. And there the Lord gives him a detailed description of his future. And then here's the clincher to the whole teaching. He built an altar. And then he dug a well. Up until this time, Isaac was like many of us who wake up every morning and we dig the well before we build the altar. The presence of God has to come before problem solving. But we wake up every day with a problem on us, and so we dig a well and find some new water. You are the solution to a broken world, your mind, your intellect. You gotta roll up. I'm solving problems every day at the university. But the purpose of my life and what makes me an effective leader, if I pray I become one, is not that I'm a great problem solver. It's that I hear from the Lord. I practice His presence. I build the altar before I dig the well. If you wake up every day and dig the well, and at some point try to build an altar after you've dug the well. So the shift, the disruption in Isaac's life is that he finally came to a place where he put the altar before the well. All of us got problems personally and we're trying to help people with their problems. I just want to propose to you and to myself that I would spend my days simply thinking altar comes before well. Put the altar before the well. Practice his presence. That's why we're trying to cultivate in all of us, president foremost in that chair, and trying to cultivate the presence of God in my life. I don't come to chapel to be with you. I come to chapel to be with the Lord. I'm cultivating the altar so that I have a shot at trying to dig a well in the right place, in the right way. You could be free of your problems and have the most boring, unattractive life because you know you were born for his presence. That's why you left Rehobo to go to Beersheba because you miss his presence, even though your life, and I'm not dogging people, but I'm just, I'm, I watch the news, let's all stand like everybody else and I'm watching what Johnny Depp went through with his wife and I'm, I'm watching what, uh, um, oh, who's the other big one? That just happened a massive one. That one, I wasn't thinking of Adam Levine. And now all over the news with, with Tom Brady and Gazelle. And now, he, you know, hey, I don't want to lose you. Listen to me. What I'm saying is you could have all the money in the world. All the money in the world will not buy you the presence of God. Okay. I would trade my life for Johnny Depp's in any any day of the week. Even though I like Pirates of the Caribbean, I'm just saying that. I don't want that guy's life. I want the presence of God in my life. Can we lift up our hands across this room? Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Lord, as a university God, we put the altar before the well, God. Father, we just ask right now for your presence to lead us, Jesus. Lord, for your promises, your visitation, Lord. Lord, what you have over our life, what you've spoken over us, what you've done in our midst, God, what you've told us, God, at the altar, God. Lord, we'll, we'll never outwork the Philistines, I guess, Lord. There's always going to be stress, God. And, Lord, we're going to be problem solvers for the rest of our life, Jesus. But, Lord, keep us, Lord, from the, from the definition of my life as, a, as I, I'm out to solve problems, Lord. It's your presence that I pursue. It's your presence that I must know, God. And, Lord, I pray for the rest of our lives in this room, Jesus. We would always think when we wake up, God, the altar before the well, the altar before the well. Your presence always comes before the problem, Lord, that I'm facing in my life. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. We're just going to start to worship. We always extend our Fridays, our our, our families that are here for preview day. You can go, and I know students got to get to work, but we extend Fridays just to pray for a few minutes together to worship a little longer, no shade, no shame. If you gotta get somewhere, go, go, go. But if you can linger uh, in this place for a few minutes, pray with your floor, pray with your the brothers and sisters in your life. This is a great space to do that. We also have some of our, our faculty and staff. If you would just make yourself available across the front right now. If you come on this Friday with something in your life, burden a sickness and illness, um, they, are, they are going to be available across the front for individual prayer, just to come and pray. They'll just, they're just here for a few minutes here, and they'll, they'll pray with you. If you're carrying a burden from home, then come and pray. Um, but we're just going to turn this into a prayer time together, a worship time together. And however you have to seal the deal... Just say, Lord, for the rest of my life, God, the altar comes before the well. Your presence, Lord, is what drives my life forward, God, not the problem. That's not what I'm motivated. It's your presence. Lord, let's just begin to worship. This room is a prayer room. Come get individual prayer just quickly. You can be the first one to come up here and find someone to pray with you, pray in your circle. But let's just seek the Lord for a few minutes. Worship team, it's all yours. You can just fill this room. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, Jesus.